0: Yeah.
1: About Arium for the last few weeks We did a bit of a Dive on her like Episode 3 or 4 I don't remember And now she's gone Take a moment of silent reflection For Lieutenant Arium As we send her tube Out into space I'm actually kind of shocked they killed her off To be honest uh, You know it's 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 interesting because, you know, we've been discussing the mortality rate of all of these characters on not only this show, but other shows on television and how quickly they uh, die off. And not only that, but we've been talking about uh, how specifically even in this show, sometimes they uh, kind of overdo these deaths, especially when they don't die. But here we are. We got a, a whole episode basically dedicated to Arium and her... What hacking, her uh, being taken over by, uh, by a crazy probe from the future. And uh, you know, I think this death kind of hit me a little bit more than uh, anything else that we've seen, death or uh, near death that's uh, happened so far this season. So I thought it was good. thought it was good.
0: If we yeah. review these cases, we've had Giorgio right yep. who gets killed and yep. then comes back as Emperor Giorgio. Yep. Right, we get uh, Culper, who comes back as you know Culper from the uh, mycelial network. Right now, he has an interesting transition thing to go through. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the, the contrast between Giorgio and Mirror Giorgio, between you know bef- before Culper or you know postmortem and premortem Culper. <laughs> We get, uh, uh, we get we get we uh, get what are some other deaths? In, in Ash in a sense, you know, has metaphorical deaths. Yep. Uh, Saru. Um, Saru has a death, right? And again, is transformed by it. Yep.
1: Becomes so, something different.
0: Right. You know, in, in one sense, this story that the hero confronts death, dies, and is reborn. You know, it's a very old story. Happens to Gilgamesh. Happens to Hercules. You know, it's the central story of Christianity. And uh, now, of course, we do have, like, four of them, right? We've got Mm -hmm. Saru, uh, Culper, Giorgio, And, you know, it's not... You know, for some of them, Saru and Culper especially, they really did experience something like death. And then, whereas in the case of uh, Giorgio it's something different right yeah. but each one of them is struggling with one of the central themes of Star Trek and that is identity who are you right it's why the ultimate evil of the Borg you know in Star Trek is is borgishness right you lose your identity you become part of the collective you're totally assimilated there's no you left in there right interesting well,
1: we'll probably dive into some of that a little bit more in uh, in these two episodes. We are the brothers who track about. That's us. And I am Matt, coming to you from Austin, and coming to you from Houston is my brother Ken. That's who was talking. Say hello, Ken.
0: Peace and long life. There you go.
1: Great. Well, uh, we're back from vacation. I mean, at least I'm back from vacation. Ken was doing normal life stuff, but uh, I guess you can call whatever Ken does as normal. Uh, <laughs> uh but hey we're covering both the up go ahead there's a
0: baseline yeah
1: <laughs> there's a baseline fair <laughs> uh while i was away we did hear that anson mount and rebecca romaine will not be returning next season we kind of knew that was probably going to happen but it's still sad to hear anyway because man we liked uh we liked anson mount still like you know, anson mount
0: i don't think it necessarily rules out you know like an episode or a like a so how much have we seen of romaine right Right, very, yeah. bit, very brief. There's no reason we couldn't have, you know, like uh, a, a screenshot, you know, where he's uh, on the bridge of his own ship going, you know, we picked up uh, the strange readings you've been looking for on, uh, good to see you again, Captain. Yeah. Captain, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs>
1: yeah. It just said they weren't coming back a series regularly. Right. So there yep. could be even an episode where yep. they have to work together or something.
0: Mm-hmm. And this and also, show does seem to like bringing people back. <laughs> yeah,
1: it sure does. Sure does. We'll definitely get there, too, in a minute. Uh, we also uh, we also haven't seen that much of Rebecca Romaine, And it's interesting that they cast her to be this part. And yet we've only seen her in, you know, for what, maybe 10 minutes at most out of uh, the two episodes she was in. So it'd be interesting to see if she comes back here towards the end and... uh like I said, you know, we, we, we mentioned this before, where the Enterprise comes back into Flyer Apart or, you know, all of that
0: yeah. stuff. So
1: We will have to see. Well, let's get to it here. We'll talk about Project Daedalus first, directed by our very own Jay Frakes. Again, number one, uh, taking the head of this very important episode, significant episode. Uh, Daedalus, you know who this is, Ken? You going to talk about this one?
0: About what it means? Yeah, yeah. So, as we're watching the episode we see the title, you know, Mask and Charlie, my eight-year-old granddaughter. Uh, so, who is Daedalus? And she remembers he's the guy who made the maze underneath uh, the palace at Minos, where the Minotaur lived. Uh, she remembered that he had made the the wings that Icarus and he tried to escape. Uh, you know, Minos using. And of course, there's also a piece in the new. Uh, the new set of books by uh, yeah, what's his name? Anyway, the, the ones with uh, they made Percy Jackson the movies about, uh, oh. where where Daedalus hides out from death. He escapes death by hiding in the ma- in the in the maze, right? Oh, okay, uh huh. And death can't find him, <laughs> so he sees still alive <laughs> in <Amazing>. modern day. <laughs> yeah, so she she knew who he was. You know, a guy who makes things and. You know, sometimes these things don't go, you know, so well. In one sense, he had offended the gods because his automatons were too good, too too lifelike. He had created life. You know, in other senses, he had, uh, you know, violated earthly powers, like the king Minos, and had to be imprisoned, and then had to escape with his with his wax feathers. So she was ready for some uh, some hubris, some technological hubris. Right.
1: Well, you know it's interesting. So we we obviously have the you know the builder, the technological hubris, as you said, but also just the wings, right? I mean, in the uh, in, in the the time traveler. Uh, I'll also say this: we've uh, we've talked about it before. The amazing effects that are uh, on this show, and uh, this episode starts off with that amazing shot of like the the planet, and then the shuttle coming in, and then there's a great shot of Discovery, and all of that stuff, just. Seriously, the effects in this show are just, they're killing it. It's so good. We also get with this episode the return of uh, Admiral Cornwell. Uh, She decides she's going to interrogate Spock by herself. And uh, she says uh, he's telling the truth, or at least he believes he is telling the truth. We, of course, find out later that, uh, well, not surprisingly, he is telling the truth. Uh, We're also hearing a bit about control at this point. We've heard about it over the last few episodes, but I don't know if you were like me and just assumed that it was like the name of the either the agency or the group of people who were running Section One. I think like Control was the the like head office on Get Smart. I think so. Uh, so you know, sometimes spelled so with a K, right? <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we find out in this episode that Control is a computer and it was programmed programmed by Admiral Patar who, of course, you know, winds up dead in this episode, even though we see her throughout. Uh, we also find out that uh, she's a logic extremist.
0: Or at least was thought to be.
1: Thought to be, so right.
0: It's, po- it's possible that the computer and its its representation of Pitar decided to make her a logic extremist because it was the easiest way to have Pitar do this and not have everyone else go, uh, is Pitar acting completely un-Pitar-like? yeah. Well,
1: it's also interesting, too, because they did a really clever way. Well, it, so in the opening, the previews, right, they showed the previous shot of her uh, talking to uh, Cap- the Captain Pike, you know, and just the way she was talking. And then you go in this one, you, you feel like this could be a Vulcan, but it could be a machine pretending to be Vulcan. like the way they either wrote it or the way they the way she does it, it's just it's perfect. It's perfect, because once you know that, oh my gosh, it is Control, and then you go back and look at it, you're like, okay, okay, it could go either way. I love it. This is also interesting, too, because in the uh, Star Trek novels, uh, the ones called Star Trek Section 31, uh, Control was also an artificial intelligence, intelligence uh, which involved, or sorry, which evolved within the computing system of the covert United Earth Federation surveillance network known as the Uri. So interesting that, you know, there's something that was in the novels that they've taken and now put into the main canon.
0: Yeah. Normally canon doesn't, doesn't work that way. It doesn't borrow from the books all that much.
1: That's true. Yes. That's true in both Star Wars and Star Trek now. Even though Star Wars is a little more fluid with it now, uh, you know, they've, they've introduced characters now that were only in books and uh, made them canon uh, just in a different way. Admiral Thrawn's the most uh, big example of that. Um, so in, in the opening title then, Cornwall basically says, we got to go to Section 31, let's go. And as, uh, as Pike sends them off, we get a great use of the opening theme music as they fly off, as we go then into titles. We talked about the show before, but I'm going to mention it again. For those of you who love soundtrack music, I highly recommend uh, David W. Collins' show, the soundtrack show. But an interesting thing that he had brought up uh, just a few, uh, uh, well, a few episodes if you go by. It was many months ago because he's taken a break. But one of the things he brought up is, you know, people ask, why don't we have those grand themes in movies like we, do, like we used to? Like in Star Trek, we got Luke's theme and Leia's theme and the Imperial March and, you know, all of these things. Why don't we? And he says part of it is just because movies have changed so much. Movies go by quicker that we don't have the screen time in scenes in which to establish a main theme. So, you know, we even have that great Avengers theme. But the only reason we have the Avengers theme is because of the main titles and not because they've really had a lot of times to use it, you know, in the in the thing. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, so that kind of leaves us to TV to be able to, you know, have their main titles and uh, play that music or- now
0: composers would have to come up with something as brief and able to hit it so quickly as the James Bond theme. Where -hmm. you can just go, ba-dum, ba-dum, and you're like, okay, there we go. Yeah. (laughs) We know. Bond is on the case. (laughs) So uh,
1: after the crew edits, we get our, you know, we get the usual set of commercials that they show if you have the cheaper version of, uh, of, of All Access like me. And it's funny because as we go into this episode, I actually thought that we were into another commercial because we get that live shot of Arium pre-augmentation. Uh, And uh, her uh, fiance, or I guess husband, then they had just gotten married. So it was so funny because I was like, so thrown. I'm like, wait, who are these people and why? Oh my, oh, we're into this. And then we, you know, cut to that shot of Arium where she's scanning through her uh, memories. So uh, she seems to have been biological at one point, obviously. You know, this is also a great use of why we, you try not to establish background characters, backstories. Because then it's like, okay, maybe we can later find a really cool way to introduce their backstory, and, as they, I think they did in this episode. And I think they've done that uh, fairly well over other Star Trek series, you know, where we get the, you know, the, the helmsman who suddenly, oh, you know, uh, Cole Meany, uh, O'Brien, you know, that's the perfect example of that. You know, he just starts off as some guy who's on the bridge, and then he's running, he's transporter chief, and then next thing you know, he's married to Keiko, and we know all about Miles O'Brien.
0: I also think about uh, my favorite episode, Balance of Terror, where we get this wedding at the beginning of the episode, right, to humanize these two characters, one of whom is going to die at the end, right? And so now, everybody has been established, right? She actually goes back, you know, to season one. Mm-hmm. But uh, we really, she was just in the background. Yeah, I, I mean, we didn't even know what she was.
1: Yeah, was she an alien? Was she, yeah, we, never we,
0: knew. we yeah. knew nothing about her. Until we find out about her family and her marriage and this history and her relationship with the crew. And, and suddenly we're like, oh, you're like an integrated part of the crew and every, everybody else knows who you are. We just don't know. And now yeah. we found out about you and now you die. And it's like what they did in, in Balance of Terror, right? Yeah. Where you get this, which is... Uh, often referred to as a mob shirt rather than a red shirt, right? Because the red shirt's a guy who dies, doesn't have a name, and nobody cares that he's gone, right? You get, like, one moment where it's like, Jenkins, what happened? Oh, no. Oh, there's the enemy. Let's get him. You kill Jenkins. Ne- never any mention of Jenkins again, right? But here we get, you know, this relationship. But, of course, you know, later on, Burnham doesn't want to harm her, which, you know, she has to do. Yeah. And then at the beginning of the next episode, we have a funeral. Yeah. She's not a forgotten character. She's, you know, thoroughly in this other camp of like, no, you were one of the crew. We cared for you.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. So I'm kind of back and forth
1: on this because you and I have always talked about how one of the great things about, you know, uh, the epi- not episodic, serialized television is that, you know, we get to learn about characters and we get to find them and they get to grow. And then, you know, like if they then kill a moth, So it's interesting. And again, I'm back and forth on this is that we didn't get more of Ariam spliced in to other moments because we get moments in this episode where right. we see her hanging out with Detmer and Tilly and, you know, and she has a great relationship with all these people so on the one hand, I'm like, we should have. I wish we would have at least had one or two scenes of that. But my other problem, my other problem with it is, is that it would be so out of the realm of everything else they've done on the series, right? Because it's like we're not really hanging out with Tilly and Detmer, you know, uh, outside of Burnham and you know, the you know the captain and outside of the mission. So it's like, do we uh, do we need more of it or don't we? I kind of felt like it was fine as it was in this episode that we get to see that she did have a relationship and we see right away her and Tilly are, you know, back and forth, giving each other a little bit of, you know, the, the business, as they said in the fifties, cause I couldn't think of another name for it. That wasn't <laughs> yeah. squaring, you know, but they're giving it, they're rubbing it, you know, giving, boom, yeah. boom, 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 you know, vote, verbally jabbing at each other. So, uh, so I think it ultimately worked in this episode. But maybe even just a scene somewhere along the way of you know them hanging out. Maybe we even just see him in the background, you know, as they walk by or something, and they wave. I don't know, something. I don't
0: know. Yeah, you know that scene where where Culper comes in, sees Ash, yeah, and like they fight. Tillian and Saru were sitting together, right? Because. Yeah you know, the first officer and the ensign, or I, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, he could have been, been sitting there doing paperwork when Culper walks in, and Tilly was at the next table with those two, and they were all lappy and talky. And then, of yeah. course, because Tilly's a main character, and they're not, and Saru's a main character, she could have been like, oh, I think we should intervene. And that's when he says, you know, when he, when he does say that, I think we have to let this play out. Would have been perfectly natural and would have had like, oh look at the three little friends playing at the table right behind them. Yeah. And yet you still get all the Saru, because basically, you know, Tilly's here and Saru's here. He's just busy doing paperwork, and he's you know, and then you get both. You get the same shot. Both of them are like, yeah. uh oh, what's going to happen here?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, also funny is that the game that they were discussing in that one flashback scene of them was actually a game that was in Voyager at some point that Seven of Nine was playing with some little girl. Mm -hmm. I just saw that on Memory Alpha. That's uh, the only reason I know that, but you obviously remembered it, which is cool. So we find out they call it an augmentation, and uh, uh, we do find out in the next episode, but we see just the briefest part of it here that uh, Detmer uh, owes uh, owes a lot to uh, Arium for you know making her feel more comfortable with her uh, cybernetic augmentation as well so then we get this uh, we get a lot of like these weird little scenes where her eyes flash and she's she turns around and she starts working on another console then she's down in another room and she's downloading stuff you know and it's interesting because every time then her eyes flash and it turns off whatever the probe is doing to her she seems a little bit like okay where am i here what happened? You know, she seems a little bit out of it, which is interesting because at the end, she seems that she thoroughly remembers, you know, trying to beat up uh, Burnham and stuff at the end as well. So it's an interesting little back and forth on that where it's like, okay, sometimes that worked, sometimes that didn't. But Uh, the security chief, of course, overhears all. So uh, she's sort of following her around, seeing that, like, you know, seeing what she's up to. We also find out that uh, not only was it a hologram of Petard that they were talking to at the, at the Section 31 headquarters, but it also turns out, thanks to Saru, that Spock's footage was also a hologram as well. My one question about this is, is that the people who were supposedly then killed in the hologram, were they killed in real life? Like, were those people missing? Were they just, like, fake people that didn't really exist?
0: Right, so did what did Section 31 fake? Right. right. Did they fake their records? They just moved them. They said, you know, sorry, Dr. Smith, but you're going to have to be reassigned. We've declared you dead. <laughs> <laughs> or was Dr. Smith a, a, a Section 31 agent of the whole time? Right. And so when it's now like, here, here's your new alias, here's your new credentials, go to Starbase 12. You've just, you know, served aboard the Potemkin. You know, get moving. Um, your old identities have been declared dead. Or, you know, are they, uh, did, did Section 31 kill them and then let regular people find them and go, oh my God, that yeah. like, that Spock guy, look what he did. Or like, what happened?
1: Yeah. Because section, section
0: 31 could be pretty awful. On the other hand, if it was like these were all agents and they're just like been reassigned and now they're happily working at their new jobs and we're like, Oh, they were killed. Look at our hologram. <laughs> and, and no one, no one could find them. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. It's a little dangling piece of information that we really don't need, but you know, that's what we're here to talk about. So uh, once, on station, uh, t- once on the space station, we get two Star Trek. Once on the space station, we get two Star Trek six references. We got the magnetic boots. And then the floating blood as well. Both of those were seen in Star Trek VI when people go over and kill the uh, Chancellor. The probe takes over Arium again. Her and Burnham fight. Arium takes out Nan by pulling off her breathing apparatus. That didn't look good. Uh, then uh, ariam comes to and tells Burnham to blow her out of the airlock. Burnham can't do it. And so it's up to uh, the hurt Nan to do it for her. Uh, and again, we find in the next episode that... Uh, it was uh, you, you, it could have it could have caused a rift between her and Burnham, but it, it, it turns out it didn't, and Burnham was basically like, "Thank you for not making me being the one who had to do it," because just what Burnham needs is a little more guilt,
0: you know. But it was Apparently, interesting that's too. That's like Sorry. her central. That's like her central thing, according to Spock. right? Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, it's funny they do, and they do. We'll get to the Spock Burnham bit in a minute, but yeah, they do talk a lot about. uh You know, all of the stuff that she takes on, all of the burdens. So this would just be one more that you know she would take on. It's also interesting, too, seeing the uh, beating that Ariam took in this episode. That it's like she wasn't on more away missions. (laughs) It's like, wow, we could have used somebody that powerful on some of these uh, away missions. Somebody who could take a beating.
0: And there was a suggestion that, like, she doesn't ever go on away missions.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Uh, so now to the Spock and Burnham story. Uh, they are definitely not happy campers with each other in this episode. they are just a lot of back and forth. Spock seems uh, overly needling. He is really drilling the idea like, hey, I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be a part of, uh, of, uh, of this situation here. So uh, Burnham says, uh, hey, speaking of baselines, Burnham says, uh, hey, why don't we uh, play some uh, 3D chess to get this uh, baseline back to logic? And then this scene of them playing chess is pretty awesome. It's it's probably the most intense scene in this episode. The two of them trying to outwit each other verbally. Burnham trying to, like, play the chess and uh, this is where he calls her out for taking responsibility for everything bad that has happened to his family and hers. She couldn't fight the Klingons as a kid, he says, uh, to save her folks. And that she couldn't have saved his family from logic extremists because the spots as uh, Spock puts it he is the abomination he which says, is what
0: which is what yeah. we've seen in the stu- in the Spock story stuff all along right mm-hmm. we, we see Spock being teased in uh, in the yesterday stuff with uh, from the animated series where Spock yep. has to has to, in that case, be, do his own grandfather's paradox and save himself. <laughs> we see Spock being, you know, tormented or yep. teased or how badly you want to put it in, uh, in the J.J. Trek version of young Spock. So, I mean, the, the canon material is that Spock was teased because he was Spock, not because he was Burnham's sister.
1: Yeah. He says, and I quote, we will never relate to you. Nope, reading that again. We will never relate as equals so long as you attempt to assume every burden as yours alone. She said, so as long as we're being honest with each other, you need to stop taking whatever this is out on me. And then he says, I enjoy expressing emotions. And he shoves this chessboard to the floor. Like with a backhand. Uh, Burnham is called up to the bridge. And then we get this uh, really long action sequence uh, of uh, of the disco making its way through the minefield. But uh, luckily Burnham takes sound advice from uh, the 3D chess game she had with Spock and says uh, that to fight the computer, they need to add chaos and randomness. Also later, I really enjoyed the scene between Spock and Stamets when they were like kind of giving each other advice. That was really cool.
0: In a lot of ways, they occupy the same space, right? Stanitz is our usual Spock-type character Uh on on this incarnation of Star Trek.
1: They sort of help each other get to the uh, root of their problems. I also love the scene um, where Pike and Cornwall go back and forth. He says, Giving up our values in the name of security is to lose the battle in advance. Is that why you sidelined me in the war? Because I'd keep reminding you of that? She responds with, we sidelined you because if the Klingons won the war, we wanted the best of Starfleet to survive. That was you and all you represent. You're like, yay! I love it! It's so good! <laughs> awesome. We love Pike, so that's. Uh, I just love that yeah. that came yeah. out there. So Trek Core has this to say about this episode. He says, uh... For dramatic purposes, we need plots to impact the relationships between the characters. But in many cases, the show hasn't had the time or the space to really develop these relationships. Instead, they appear fully formed only when they intersect with the larger story. At some point, I'd like to see Discovery spend more time on the smaller moments of these characters' lives. They can't always be saving uh, saving all life in the galaxy. Uh, he he's specifically mentioning the uh, end of the Saru death scene or episode where saru and burnham suddenly like patch things up seemingly out of nowhere we talked a little bit about that i also thought it was interesting too because these two episodes are filled with a little more adventure and action than um i feel like we normally got out of discovery and that they've been really low on the character moments which are not only something that you and i love but uh, also that, uh, you know, it gives us something a little bit more to discuss than just this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. So, you know, it's interesting that we've had uh, both these episodes to discuss in one week because, uh, you know, that's all I got on that first episode. <laughs> uh, so moving into the uh, moving into the Red Angel episode, uh, it does, as you said, start with Arium's funeral. Uh, which again takes a Rathacon reference and sends her out of the uh, torpedo tube. Then, seemingly, the episode doesn't hold back to reveal that Burnham is in fact, a red angel., uh, they have DNA evidence to prove it, supposedly. So is that really hurt with? Was- It's hard to we. I guess we don't know yet how that's going to relate. That DNA evidence is it going to prove to be her mother's? And they were just confused because they didn't expect her mother.
0: Yeah, like in the case where it turns out that it's a sibling, we've seen those kinds of.
1: Yeah. Or also too that like there's something else to Project Daedalus that we don't know yet. There's something else to that encrypted file that is specifically about Burnham. So we'll have to see how that works out. Uh, But right off the bat, the crew is under the supposition that she is, in fact, the Red Angel. Ariam uh, did say at the end of the last episode that it was all about her. So maybe she's the chosen one? We don't know. Uh, This seemingly unbelievable twist, Pike calls out himself. Lampshades it, as you would say, by saying, uh, you're telling me our Michael Burnham is going to wake up one day with access to time technology that hasn't even exists yet and then take it upon herself to save the galaxy. To which Spock then comes back with, that supposition fits her emotional profile rather precisely, particularly her drive to take responsibility for situations that are far beyond her control. Which uh, I love that whole scene too. I thought it was, (laughs) she's just like, well, thanks for sharing that with everyone. Uh, it was pretty good times. So um, section 31 then arrives and we find out the suit was a, was a, a making uh, or, or, or was their making uh, based on the, the Klingon's attempt to time travel. You also have this where Leland says to Tyler, like, no offense. You know, and Tyler was like, no, no, they totally would have taken over the world. That's totally true that that would happen. And then Spock looks at him like, are you a Klingon? (laughs) It was just another fun little moment that happened, I enjoyed. Uh, This is where, of course, they developed the trap for future Burnham. And, you know, they're asking all the right questions, all the questions that I was asking anyway, like, well, then why doesn't Burnham say something when she comes ahead? Like, why is she trying to hide her identity? Obviously, we know this ends up not being Burnham, so that makes it a lot easier. But, you know, they are asking the right questions. <laughs> then we get this fun little scene that happens in engineering with Stamets and Tilly and Georgiou. Stamets is, uh, you know, handing out all the techno babble as he does and uh, Georgiou keeps talking talking to him about the stamets that she knew in the other universe. Then Culber walks in, and it's this really awkward, intense, and typical Tilly fashion. She tries to, like, break the, the tension, which George then scolds her for it. Let's live in a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, awkward tension. It'll be fine. Uh, she then plays with Culber and stamets here, and she says... Uh, Where they ultimately have to define themselves as gay in in this universe. And she's like, Great. Now that we've defined what's obviously in front of us, let me go up to the bridge. (laughs) You know, like she's just pointing out, like, obviously, you two want and love each other. Let's go ahead and make this happen. Then we get this scene with uh, Nan and Burnham, you know, where they tell each other, like I said, where, uh, you know, each other did the right things. And Nan even says to Burnham, you know, I appreciate how hard you fought for. That made my job, uh, you know, a little bit easier. Saru then reveals that he uh, wanted to work with Leland to feel him out. He's like, I may not have my threat ganglia anymore, but hey, buddy, I still have good instincts when it comes to people. This is also where we then find out that Leland was involved and how in what happened to Burnham's parents. Uh, They were involved in the making of the suit, and Leland's ambition got the better of him. He could not protect uh, her parents from uh, the Klingons finding the time crystal. The good thing about this, from a story perspective, is is that this is one less thing for Burnham to feel burdened about, right? Uh, She's basically absolved, because she thought she was the one. She's like, no, I want to stay one more night, because I want to watch whatever astronomical the thing was going on remember that was the reveal and so you know now she's at the point where she's like uh well okay so good if, if i wasn't the one who made him stay then that's all you leland so yay one less thing for her to uh, feel was her responsibility in her life so that's nice she's kind of i've noticed this season sort of being absolved of all of the things that you know we thought tyler had going on she's not uh, as far as the war goes As far as, you know, her parents now, and even as far basically as, uh, you know, her breaking up of the relationship between her and Spock. They all seem to have been like whittled away now. Uh, She also takes her anger out on Tyler because she says, hey, if you're going to be a part of section one, that makes you seem like you were part of the problem. Culber goes to Cornwell because, uh, you know, we all forgot that she used to be a therapist. So she talks, uh, they talk a bit and then, uh, she ultimately tells him, uh, the only way to make a new road is to walk it. So both well, Culber,
0: He seems like he's going to go up and like, you know, change his life and do something. He's going to like pick something and, and, and adhere to it. He does have that little moment where he tries to have a conversation with, uh. Uh, Stamets. Stamets, right, like, is there a way to kill Burnham? With, he's like, not not the time.
1: <laughs> yes, this is not the time for this conversation. Although Stamets then goes on to say, like, it may never be the time. But I don't know if that was just because he was worried that Burnham was going to die or, or what there.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously he's got a lot going on. Yeah. Especially well, at that also, moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, he also got that great advice from Spock where, you know, Spock was saying... uh You know, he's having problems with himself, and has it's very little to do about you. He's trying to figure out who he is,
0: right? Because one of these core issues in Star Trek, and how many characters could we, you know, put this this medal around their neck, dealing with identity? Yeah, I mean, Burnham has been dealing with it since the beginning, right? Obviously, Spock's dealing with it. Yep. You know, I mean, the only character who seems to have a, a pretty intact identity is like Tilly and and, and Pike. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, we've seen Pike's, you know, we've seen Pike's journey already in the cage, so.
0: Well, uh, yeah, and that wasn't so much an identity problem. That was, uh, uh, he was like confronting the godlike aliens. Another Star Trek. <laughs> yes, 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 yes.
1: Well, but I also think, too, that he was dealing with whatever happened on Rigel 7 or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I he...
0: mean, so he had, like, this difficult experience he was getting over. But he wasn't like, I've lost my sense of self. Whatever happened well, on Rigel 7 wasn't up to make him go, I don't know who Christopher Pike is anymore. <laughs> but Spock is kind of wondering, like, who is Spock? Yeah, And Michael Burnham is asking, who is Michael Burnham? Yeah. Uh, Cul- uh, Culper is doing that. Like in a very upfront, I don't even know who I am, kind of way.
1: So uh, let's talk about uh, uh oh, I've totally lost his name now. But the guy Peck, the guy who's playing Spock, I think he's been doing a great job in this uh, in this in these episodes, uh, especially these last two. Uh, you know, there's the last scene, the the scene in the previous episode with uh, the the 3D chess, and then in this episode they've got the the workout room scene which i think is really great uh between the two it really feels like a spock and kirk moment you know what i mean i wrote leave it to spock to solve the emotional problem the human can't you know <laughs> maybe cuz he can logically take his emotions and figure it out i don't know but that was so great he says at the beginning of that scene uh, i wish i would have been there when you struck him i think i would have found that moment satisfying <laughs> which sounds so spock like it's it guys yeah I also love that, you know, at the end of their little conversation, you know, she's like, uh, thanks, you know, thanks for coming in. I I, I wasn't expected at all. And he was like, well, I didn't expect to have this conversation. She's like, yeah. Wait, then why did you come here? (laughs) (laughs) If This isn't why you came. What the hell else is going on? Of course, we find out that he's discovered the variance for the Red Angel appearing and that it's Burnham and that uh, it appears when Burnham is in danger. Which makes sense, considering it's it's her mother who ultimately turns out to be the red angel. Uh, you can see her. So
0: last last time we were talking, and and we brought up this issue that like Star Trek does not have the chosen one, right? Right. This is not a not a feature. But what we've done here is we realized this isn't a chosen one story. This is a um, circular time story, right? In which the person. Who saves, you know, seven year old Spock is grown up Spock going to right. the guardian of forever. This is a story in which someone from the past has gone through the future to save me because they care about me, not because I was chosen by the galaxy or you know, immutable forces. It's like what what would any mother do? <laughs> Protect yes. your daughter. Perfectly reasonable behavior. Yes. And if you're trying to communicate with somebody and there are all these barriers to doing so. What about her brother, yeah. right? You reach out to him. And, of course, you've already talked to him once because he was the one you needed to talk to when you needed to rescue the daughter the first time, right? Yeah. So they've already had a conversation or two. So the fact that things are looping in on themselves is like, oh, it's a time story. That's why yes. there's this looping in on itself. Not because we've gone down the chosen one trope. Right. Well, I thought it was I, a great reveal, right? It's her yeah. mother. You're like, oh... <laughs> Because I thought of that whole business about the the chosen the, one, the chosen one. Yeah,
1: that's so funny. Well, you know, also too. I mean, Stamets even brings up the idea of the mind meld that that's basically what the Red Angel was doing. And so, again, what better person to do that with than you know Burnham's brother,
0: right?
1: A Vulcan. Oh, okay, great. Somebody who, who can, can help. Do us a community. mind meld. Yeah. Yes.
0: Oh, you exactly. know somebody who can do a, te- a telepathic communication. Excellent. Because I didn't bring a chalkboard and some chalk. <laughs>
1: Right, exactly. So we it's do like, have
0: the tachyon wind blows all the chalk off my slate. It doesn't work. <laughs> I've tried. It's so
1: annoying. <laughs> so uh, we can discuss the grandfather paradox a little bit because I may have found like a little bit of a hole. Maybe again, you can tuck me out of it. But uh, <laughs> so since it is her mother, right? So she's coming, like you said, coming from the past or the future. The future, because she must know what happens in the future.
0: Yeah, well, she got a time suit. She she got all kinds of things.
1: So then how did she get trapped? Because wouldn't she know it was a trap? If she's from the future.
0: Yeah, so she may be unable to escape that problem, right? There may be some technical feature, like, uh, you know, if I ever completely turn the suit off, that's where I'm going. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll be in that moment in time and that location, and the Klingons will kill me. I know Mm. they will. And eventually I'll run out of power, and that will be my fate. But I'm going to resist as long as I can by continuing to go other places and do other things. So, I mean, there's that situation, right? right? She could also be her mother from the past before that has happened, who nevertheless has discovered this thing about the future. Right, as right, as because maybe she wars, went to
1: the future yeah, and then saw what happened and then went back to the past. There you go. I like that idea. That's probably what it's going to end up being. We have a situation that is either trolley problem and or the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right?
0: Which is it's, it's Spock's expression of the trolley problem. He is the guy who's going to pull the lever, right. kill the one guy, and let the five survive.
1: Right, exactly. And we have it in both episodes, basically, right? Do we kill Arium because we know that, you know, millions of planets will die?
0: Well, not just that. So there's the, we have to kill Arium to save the galaxy, the universe, the timeline. But there's also, I need to kill um, her because she'll kill me. And then, of course, all the people, like the the local group, right? right? I mean, theoretically, Starfleet would continue to, battle this problem and someone else might like solve it but there's the there's the question of like if Arium opens the door she's going to kill burnham right right she's going to try to send the ai on but those are like two separate problems right right so in one like burnham is, is in this conundrum do i try to rescue you or do i prevent you from killing me since you're clearly trying to do that yeah And then there's the other problem of I need to destroy you to prevent you from advancing this AI problem. And for the other character, uh, Sarah or. Nan. She's the one. Yeah, Nan. There you go. It's a no brainer, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm opening this airlock.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought too. I'm like, she definitely knows how to, the best way to do this. And she doesn't have the, you know, emotional. Attached him to that obviously Bruno has. Uh, so back to it. We can also see so she's basically setting herself up here to die on this in this episode. You know, we've been talking to we've talked been talking a lot about her faith and whether or not she has any in the future or blah blah blah. We definitely see here at this point that she doesn't have any faith that either that this is going to work, <laughs> that the Red Angel is actually going to save her. Uh she's so worried about it that she even goes and kisses and makes up with Tyler, you know, just in case. She's like, I don't want our last like conversation to be a fight. Let's kiss. That's basically how the conversation went. When I broke it down. <laughs> uh So it's interesting from a directorial writing standpoint of this episode is that this episode's already a shorter episode, right? So because it uh, I think it comes in at like 49 minutes. And I feel like we spend a lot of time building up to the demise because it's a just like watching her like suffocate is hard to watch as it is. Right. You're just like, oh, I'm feeling all of that. geez, Which, you know, props to Sonequa because that was amazing. But you also, but it's just also this like lead up to like okay, we're we gonna put her in the chair. We got it. Just felt like uh, we're kind of extending a five minute scene into a ten minute scene just so that this comes in at like oh, just under fifty minutes. We did it. You, had, you,
0: had, you had some time for a, a musical theme there,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, so then uh, the end reveal, we find out it's mom, and then we're out.
0: And wouldn't it be awful if because they did this that like the, the suit has to go back to <laughs> she right. can't get in it again <laughs>
1: right well it's funny because they used an emp on it so then you wonder like is the suit shot now will it ever be able to work again you wonder
0: or like you reset it if i get back in i'm going back to the start place in time and yeah <laughs> i yeah, know what's yeah, yeah. there that could be too
1: you know, one other thing too, I was I, about story and direction in this episode is like, if you notice, there's no B story really happening in this episode. Yeah, a little bit of one with like Burnham keeping keep going back to Tyler and being like Section Thirty One, uh, totally I, I,
0: I think some of the resolution between Spock and Burnham is as a B story. Right. They're they're moving that storyline along as well. So when we get back to these siblings who have been fighting. We're not in the same place we were last time. They had nothing better to do but fight.
1: That's true. That's true. And we get a little bit of Culber in this episode too. But you know, it's uh, but so there was. I just felt like there wasn't enough of a B story. Maybe some something else could have happened. But you know, it's uh, one thing I was thinking of is that there hasn't been a lot. I, I felt like at the beginning of this season there were a lot of dangling. You know, plot threads, you know, we had the whole like May and Tilly and, you know, Culber and Stamets were still happy. I felt that there was just so much more going on. And now we're kind of like running to us.
0: Uh, focusing on some stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I was also wondering, too, if that's what made this episode a little short. It's just like, oh, uh, we're missing. We don't have anything else that we need to. And we got to wait until this happens before we can move on with the rest of all of these stories.
0: Yeah, in so. episodes that are this intense, it's hard to have a B story that doesn't involve a lot of that intensity. So I thought they could move forward with the the Spock and Burnham because it, it had the intensity and, well, they were both involved in the main story. So, in a sense, they could play it off against, the two plots, I mean, the two plots could play off against each other. Yeah. And, you know, we had the hint of Culper and there's no reason not to have that hint of culprit, especially because we actually get to lampshade that we're not going to go anywhere with this because this is a bad time. So it was hard. It, it's not like you're going to have, you know, Data having an episode with this cat in this. <laughs> you know?
1: That's not going to be the B story. Maybe no. it could have been Arium and her cat or something. I don't know. <laughs> What's funny is is that they could have, they could have, uh, I'm just wondering if they could have they could have built those relationships that we see a little bit of in the previous episode and pushed that more into this episode, but then you lose the end of the intensity of that sh- of that episode with the. Well,
0: what you want to do is is that stuff that you built up, right? Those earlier B stories or those yeah. new moments, like I had with uh, um, with that trio sitting around, or I guess it was four people, right? Or, or, or a trio, whatever. Um, Sitting there when Ash and Culper have their fight, right? And see their reactions, and that they're—you go, well, they're 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 all pals. Yeah. Those kinds of things could be there to build up our end of the balance of terror moment, in which we're sad that because now we we know this character a little bit better. It's not like I I I met this character forty five minutes ago, and now they're dead, and I'm kind of like, well, I it seemed like they were nice, but. Oh, well, whereas if you put a couple of weeks investment, even if they're small scenes, even if they're little bits where they're running around together, they're talking about this and that. Yeah. You know, that that whole conversation about uh, the game, the cop, or whatever it was. Yeah. Could have actually been in an earlier episode. Mm hmm. Right. And we what we get is like because uh, now she's doing doing the thing with the memory. And she decides to put it away, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or it could have been one of those conversations where this has like different pieces to it, right? So you'd have written a longer conversation. And in the, when we saw it two episodes ago, we saw different parts of it. And yeah. here we're seeing different parts of it. So that way we're not feeling like, oh, I'm, wa- I'm watching the same thing. You're like, oh, this is slightly different. And of course, it could have been not from Ariam's point of view. But, like, third-person, you know, type point of view. Yeah.
1: Just getting in from another angle.
0: Right. And it could have started when Tilly sat down and ended when Tilly got up, because she gets called to the bridge, because like, back to the A-line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, one little bit of trivia here. Uh, we, uh, just before they... Uh, they, uh, they get going on this. We see uh, Lieutenant Nelson come take over Arium's place on the bridge, right? We give and, ourselves and a minute of that.
0: Who is playing uh, Lieutenant Nelson?
1: <laughs> How did you know that's where I was going? <laughs> it was played by uh, Sarah Mittich, who was the one who played Arium in season one. So she knows that station very well, apparently.
0: Well, and so, it's one of those situations where, like, just because your character dies on Star Trek doesn't mean you die. Because yeah, yeah. your mirror version, or you come back <laughs> from the dead, or it turns <laughs> yep. out you were the mycelial network, or <laughs> yeah, right answers.
1: exactly, or you were the actor playing another character. Amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Which
0: oh, this is wh- nice, right? Yeah. And of course, original Star Trek would do that too, right? So, um, you know, you have characters who played multiple, you know, different. That character. Sometimes you're like, why do they even rename that character? You're playing essentially a, you know, the same kind of character. Right. So, for example, we mentioned uh, the the bride in
1: Battle Balance, Balance of Terror.
0: Balance of Terror. She comes back and, uh, you know, in the one, surely right with the with the robots. Yes. So or the yeah. robots,
1: as uh, Tilly called them. <laughs> Lucky you're a robot.
0: So, yeah, Star Trek has a long history of recycling. Yeah. It's acting talent.
1: Uh, well, that's it. That's all I've got on those two episodes. Anything else uh, we need to hit from you, sir?
0: Well, I just uh, you know, felt like we were getting a lot of good identity stuff in these. Yeah. As they're really focusing on how these characters in their different ways are wrestling with what it means to be who they are, which just feels like such a star trek theme
1: yeah well that's it we've got four episodes left of discovery and then uh, you and i will get back to watching that old original episode uh, the original series all those old episodes from the yeah, past
0: we'll go, we'll go back to some super beings that are actually yeah. just balls of light
1: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> which are all just special effects poor special <laughs> effects It'll be great. All right.
0: Well, that'll wrap it up for
1: this week. Uh, next week, we're definitely going to have a lot to break down as we find the uh, find Burnham's mom is going to tell us what she knows and what that's going to mean for the future and possibly even how to stop it. Ooh, we can only hope. Maybe we'll find out a little bit more about that Daedalus thing and probably find out a little bit more about uh, <clears throat> what's happening with Culver and Stamets and maybe they'll finally kiss and make up. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> as always you guys can find us on the youtubes you can find us on uh uh, uh, stitcher radio and you can find us uh on the itunes and google play it's exciting there are all sorts of places you can find us well that's it we're gonna wrap up this week my name is matt and as always coming to us from houston is my brother ken say goodbye ken
0: actually i have one final thought okay final thought from ken so you know a classic problem in writing star trek drama. Is that if the characters can't fight amongst themselves, where do you get your drama? One answer is the trolley problem, right? So we're going to have two competing goods. What do we do? Characters could argue about it. Another one is you put through characters through this kind of dramatic stress, right? And then they can fight without it being like, well, I'm just being petty and stupid. And instead, it's about like serious, you know, important stuff. And uh, it's, it's way, way cooler than uh, everybody kind of standing around agreeing all the time. You get drama.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Spock and Bones fighting against each other about the correct way to handle said situation.
0: Right, yeah. Which is yeah. a kind of a trolley problem, typically. Or, uh, yeah. you know, two, two competing goods.
1: Yeah, got it. All right, well, on that note,
0: we will see you all <laughs> next week.